so good, good morning, everyone. Um, as Billy has mentioned, we're still looking at Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is this um, a really big series of sermons by Moses, sorry, which he gives to the Israelites just before they enter into the Promised Land. And in fact, he gives these sermons just before he dies. So this book is his final words to his people that he has cared for for many years. And so what he, repre- he says here represents his mature theology and some of his most considered words. So if you want to figure out Moses, you've got to understand this book. And as Christoph has been telling us for the last few weeks, this section here that we, or last week, sorry, this section here that we've read out again today captures the essence of this theology. Verse 4 in particular really gets at it. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That sentence, if you don't know it by now, folks, is at the heart of our religion. This sentence sums up the message of Moses. And what Big Mo is saying here to us here is that God is special. There is no other God like him. In fact, there is only him. And we should follow him. Actually, no, we should love him with everything that we have in response. Everything in you, everything you do, everything the community does is all for God. Because of who he is, because of what he's done, then everything is the only proper response. And the rest of Deuteronomy then is um, a detailed look at this response uh, uh, where Moses lays out God's understanding of how that looks with a list of laws, essentially. Um, And really that's what the whole series has been about and will continue to be about. We've called this series Choose Life because following God's laws gives us the kind of life that we're made for. And now Christians, and I suppose Jews and Muslims as well, do they get a good bit of grief from wider society for being re- uh, religions that focus on you know, delineating how to live with lists of regulations. They say we're not free, not happy, repressed, etc. And it's an unfair characterization anyway. And there's a lot to say against that, but I do want you to know, and Christoph was getting at this as well in his other sermons, that his law is good for us. Because he is good. He created us and this world in accordance with his great characteristics of justice, righteousness, love, and many others. And he never acts contrary to his nature. So his laws are good for us, not just because they're good in and of themselves, not just because he tells us to do them, but because he is good. They come from him, the creator of life, and when we follow them, our lives have a different, better quality. So these laws are good for us. And in today's passage, Moses is talking to the Israelite community and focusing on how they, as a community, can create a community where these laws are of central importance to everyone. He, it doesn't just say here, you know, or he doesn't just say, you know, here's some laws, follow them, off with you. He gives us some practical guidelines for how you can hold on to them and make them of central importance. Now, he does actually say, he wants us to do three things, but today I'm going to only talk about one of them. But let me just go over the other two quickly. Verse 6, 
He says, keep these laws I'm going to give you today on your hearts. You know, think about these things, hold them close, chew over them, talk about them with others, and do it all as much as you can. Uh, We could do a whole sermon on that, but that's not going to happen today. Move along. He also says in these great lines here in verse 789, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And again, you could easily get a sermon out of that, but the simple point is that our lives should be bracketed by references to God and his law. When you're at home, when you're traveling, nighttime, morning, put them on your head, put put them on your hands, put them on your head. Don't leave or go into a place without being reminded of them. The point is that he wants us to do things with the laws of God so that all of the natural boundaries of life, inside, outside, night, day, hand, head, coming, going, are tightly associated with discussion or thoughts about the Lord and his law. And that's a really cool idea. Uh, It's made me think about how we do church architecture, or for the look of my house, for instance. But, anyway, as I said, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about instead this other phrase that we see here in verse 7. Impress them upon your children. Vital to any attempt to become a community where love for the Lord and love for his laws are a defining aspect of who we are is making sure that we pass on to our children our beliefs and practices. And before I start, there are some people uh, who reckon that verses 7, 8, 9 are Moses' way of telling us the places that we should uh, tell our children about God. So, you know, they reckon you should impress the laws upon your children night, day, inside, outside, etc., etc. I'm not convinced by that, but to be honest, it doesn't really matter. Because if you're going to talk or think about them everywhere then you're going to be including your children in that discussion, aren't you? And also, as you will see, much much of what I'm about to say here about passing on the faith to our kids takes for granted that this will happen within the background of a community that loves God, within a community where the law is on our hearts and where we talk about him everywhere. In fact, that's one of the main things I'm going to say. So, impressing the faith on our kids pass it on to the next generation what do you think about that do you have thoughts about that as I tried um, to get the children to see earlier everyone here this morning and all the people who are not here have a part to play in this Um, whether you have no children or you are not likely to ever have them whether you have no children yet, whether you do have some but they're well into their adult years, whether this talk is painful because of an inability to have them or previous attempts to have them that didn't work out, whether or not you are a child yourself, I don't think there's any children here, but whether you are not a child or a teenager, this sermon applies to all of us. It's not just for parents. Because the community with which these kids grew up in plays a huge role in shaping them and in teaching them the truths that we believe and the behaviours that we expect from them. Now obviously, right, 
Those who help out at the various organisations we have, Sunday School, BBGB, etc., you know, they play a big part in this. But to some degree or another, we all play a part in every one, in every one of their upbringing in the faith. If you help out at one of our youth groups, you still have a role to play in all the other kids who don't come to that youth group. The same goes if you aren't part of any of them. Here's how it works. There are two ways. Well, there's probably more, but two ways that I can see. Firstly, they see us. You mightn't have much to do with them in the running of the activities of the church or on Sunday, but they will occasionally, to varying degrees, let their eyes fall upon you. They instinctively appraise your faith, your integrity, your courage, the degree to which the fruits of the Spirit are manifest in our lives. Like, they don't use that language, obviously, right? They wouldn't even know what I'm talking about if they were here right now. But they still do this just by looking at us. I used to hang out in a pub, or pubs actually, a lot as a kid. And I never, re- <clears throat> I never really interacted with any of the adults there. But I learned soon enough who were the kind ones. Who couldn't care less about me. And who had the serious character issues. You know what I'm talking about? Especially over the years, right? If they stay here 20 years, they're going to have a long time to look at us. The second thing is, not only do they watch us, but no matter how much we interact with them, you know, little or large, we still affect their raising in the faith by the kind of community that we create here in Kirkpatrick. I heard uh, an awful story actually recently about two people in a church um, fighting. It was a man and a woman and it boiled up to such a state that the two families of these respective people had a fight out in the car park, right? Tearing lumps out of each other after Sunday, you can imagine. And it turned out actually that whereas there was guilt on both sides, the man in this situation was actually scheming for months to get rid of this lady. Like when I heard the story, I was actually impressed at how nefarious he was. No, I mean, I wasn't impressed, you know what I'm talking about? He was like... Now, I don't know what the kids think of that guy, but I bet you that they would have picked up the tension and the division in that church. Do you think when they turn 18 and they leave to go to college or move for that job that they're going to have good memories of that place? Maybe. I heard that there were significant steps taken to bring the two sides together. And reconciling is a key part to following Jesus. And maybe the children in that church saw a powerful example of something that rarely happens in the world. Who knows? My point is, we all contribute to the overall feel of this place. You might have little to do with the kids, but indirectly, you have a big effect on them by what we bring to Kirkpatrick. Are you making it a better community or a worse one? The kind of community that we create here is, is important. The better it is, the more the children will have it impressed upon them that God is very important and they should love him. And everything we do affects that. Um, I want to say a few more things about the community at large before I start talking about parents in particular. And you might feel like I'm laying it on thick here. Oh, I don't have any young children at all, Richie. 
You know, I don't help out with them in the church, and yet somehow I'm responsible for their faith. Is that what you're saying to me? Well, yes. Because we all took a vow at their baptism. We said that as a community, we promise to surround these children with love. And every one of us takes that vow. Now, this is a Presbyterian church. It's not a Baptist church. I know that a lot of you have sympathies for that view of baptism, or not just sympathies, outright affirmation of it. That's all right. We're a broad church. But it does mean that we don't expect everyone who's been baptized to have the same, to have faith. Baptism is a sign of entrance into God's community. But in the same way that many of the Israelites did not trust God, in the same way that Jesus said there are tares or weeds amongst the wheat, we don't expect that everyone who has been baptized will have faith. What that means is that we bring our children into the faith community through baptism and we raise them as good as we can in the faith and hope that someday they will confirm and stand up and publicly declare that faith by taking communion with us. But there's no guarantee that they will. And what I've come to see is that one of the implications for how we understand church then in relation to their faith development is that we should aim to make this place something that if they leave the faith then make this thing something that is hard to leave I'm not talking about making them feel guilty I'm talking about making it a hard decision for them to make make Kirkpatrick a place that if they leave they know they're leaving something good make it a place that if they leave they know they are leaving something that they would want to come back to and could come back to very easily. I heard that when um, an Amish kid, you know the Amish in America, the guys, they reject, well, they don't reject technology actually, but they reject a lot of aspects of technology. And I heard that when an Amish kid leaves their community, the family sets a place at the dinner table for them for as long as they're alive. You know, waiting for them to come back. And if they come back again, they can just sit right down. It's hard to leave a good community. That should be our aim. Um, as most of you know, I grew up Roman Catholic. Um, I wasn't particularly devout, but I believed in God and I went to Mass. But obviously, I'm not Roman Catholic anymore. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the things that made it easy for me to leave was that I went to a boarding school that was run by priests. Now, I know what you're thinking, right? They were great priests. Or they, were, they were good lads, right? They were nice lads, for the most part. I saw them up close during school term. It was a boarding school. Sorry, did I say that? During school term, day and night for five years. And at the end of it... They were just ordinary people. Yes, they were different from a lot of the lads in the pub, uh, but nothing remarkable nonetheless. But when I went to, it was actually a Baptist church, ironically enough, later on in my life, I met a pastor there who was a very different kind of man. Now, he was similar to them. Uh, They weren't crude in their speech, and neither was he. They weren't prone to nor approving of getting drunk, and neither was he. They were nice, and so was he, but he was very different. He was humble, he was open about his failings, he loved the Lord, and he was open about that too. In fact, following Jesus was his favorite topic. 
I didn't have no real problems with the priests at school. I know this is very subjective, what I'm saying right here. But I didn't have any problem rejecting what they taught me either. When I tell people about how I I was converted, I usually tell them that the people at that church loved me well. And it's true, they did. But I couldn't really say that about the boarding school. They were nice, but did they love me? I was never sure about that. So let's make this place a good Christian community and make it hard for our kids to reject what we believe. Um, I'm going to talk about parents for a while and parents' role in all of this. The, the word impress that we have here in verse 7 is translated in different Bibles, teach, diligently teach, repeat to them, but mostly impress upon them as the word used. And the sense, I think, is apparent enough. Um, there is a job to be done here. Uh, by that, uh, It takes a bit of work takes a bit of thought and it doesn't really stop it's continuous and what I'm going to do for the next few minutes is I'll I'll tell you what me and Erica tried to do did she go out is she here oh there you are anyway I'm going to tell you what me and Erica tried to do and you can take it or leave it right this is how we're working it out you might have a different way but there are you can take a lot of what we do and leave it But there are some principles, two principles here that you have to include whatever you do. These have to shape what you do, right? Very briefly. It's quite clear that this is uh, all of your life, an all of your life thing. I'm not talking about time. I'm talking about, um, you know, when you get up to when you go to sleep, all of your life. If you reckon that just bringing them to church or sending them to various youth groups that we have they go to that they can go to is enough you've you've missed what Moses is saying here all of your life can be an opportunity to actively teach them and all of your life passively teaches them whether you accept it or not I'll, I'll talk about that in a while right so all of your life and then also we didn't read the moat but the verses that come after this section uh, Moses is talking to them about what you say to the kids when the kids say why do we do this and he's, he makes clear references to telling your children that the reason the Israelites do all these things is because of what God has done for us. Again, I'll talk about this a bit more in a few minutes, but the principle is clear. God's story of dealing with his people, well, you need to be able to pass that on to your kids. You need to be able to ground everything that we do in that story. So, when my son says, why do we go to church? I say to worship him. Why do we do that? Because he rescued us. You know, there's more to it, like, but that's one way that I do it. So there's two principles, but here's what we do. I got a thing in my head that I use. Uh, I haven't told Erica this, so we'll see how she reacts. But uh, I have a rap strategy. <laughs> R-A-P. The rap strategy. And what that stands for is reactive, active, and passive, right? So I've been thinking about this topic for a good while since my first child was born, and I've talked with a lot of people about it. And I've noticed that everyone has a philosophy of what to do here. You know, not like everyone does have an opinion. Even when they say they don't, if you ask them, 
they do stuff. Um, and broadly, people fall into two camps. One camp says, I love them well. Uh, I deal with things as they come up, and I go to church and send them to youth clubs, or youth stuff. And then the other crowd says, I love them well, uh, send them to church, or I go to church with them, and youth club, and here's a list of things that I do with them, or that we do with them, right? So there's a few similarities, right? Thankfully, loving them is key to both. Sending them to church or going to church is key, and youth clubs as well. But the difference is one side majors on things, doing things as they come up, and the other side majors on a list of things that they do, right? So I wanted to bring the two of them together. I wanted to combine all of that. So RAP, right? Reactive, I think is pretty self-explanatory. This is answering the question in the car on the way home from school. This is dealing with the fallout of a fight. This is when you're watching television with them and everyone is offering up their own commentary. You know, you're doing your version of Gogglebox, etc. As situations crop up that force you to explain why you are doing or saying what you're saying, you have a chance to ground your explanation in the things of God. There's a kid in our neighborhood and he gets picked on a lot by the other kids. And he's like he's a bit of a pain in the backside, to be honest. I understand why they, they pick on him, you know. But that doesn't make it right. And we've been telling our son, you can't go along with that. And he says, why? And we say, you've got to love your enemies. God loved us when we were his enemies. You see how it works? I would say here too, it's not just when you're forced to give an, an explanation... Sometimes opportunities just present themselves. Bad news or hard news, um, I found is a time when I've often thrown in things about my faith and how that changes how I understand these, this news. And especially as they get older, uh, you know, Christoph did a sermon on this, which was, it was really good, but especially as you get older, you're going to be talking to them about the things that they have to do, the choices that they have to make, the choices that you have to make, because they'll get more involved in how the family works as they get older. So you'll be talking to them about what God has to do with the AQE, how the family spends money, about the internet, about how to treat people, about sex. You know? So reactive can include things that, are, that have some forethought as well as, you know, it doesn't have, just have to be spontaneous. Something happens and you can come back to it later our life will throw up many, many opportunities for you to talk about your faith. So that's reactive, right? Inactive, the active side of my strategy. I'm thinking here about the things that Erica and I have said, right, we'll, we'll try and do this, this, this thing. So, right, just bear with me for a second, right? This is what we do. We pray in the morning, or what we try to do. We pray in the morning, I try to pray the Lord's Prayer in the morning because they're not going to hear it all much else anywhere else and I want them to grow up knowing it. We pray at dinner times and at bedtime. At bedtime we ask them if anyone wants to thank God for anything or say sorry about anything at all or if they want to ask God for something. We try to do something Bible related at bedtime as well as pray and then we sing one song together. Erica often ends up singing a couple of other songs with the children but I am out of there at that stage. We have uh, memory verses that I ask the kids to go over at dinner. On Sunday afternoons, um, I've been going over the catechism with the kids. 
He was a children's catechism, which is a children's version of the shorter catechism. None of that makes any sense to you. Just ask me afterwards. I give them sweets for correct answers. Some people say that you don't want to reward them for learning Bible stuff. That gives them the wrong idea. I don't really care. I just want them to learn the language and the vocabulary of our faith at this moment in their life. When they're older, the sweets will stop. And I hope it will become more of a conversation between two people. We do loads of other little things. I got a YouTube playlist with Christian videos on it. We have Christian music CDs. We got a Bible story books. We got loads of Christian books. We have a, a one-minute devotional book that we use in the morning. We got lots and lots of stuff. Now let me be clear. Maybe you're like, "Wow, what a bunch of dorks," <laughs> or maybe you're impressed and you feel encouraged or guilty. Or maybe you're like, that ain't nothing, you should see what we do. <laughs> and, and if that's true, I'd like to, I would like to hear what it is. Well, look, the truth of it all is what I said there is entirely aspirational. I haven't had a Sunday where I managed to get out to catechism in about a month and a half, two months. We had to give up doing the Bible story at night time about a month ago because one of our kids is bored out of his brain by it. And he finds it hard to concentrate when he's bored, and he's made it impossible, currently anyway, for us to do that. So we're, we're going to go back to the drawing board there. We regularly don't pray in the morning. We regularly do none of what I've just talked about. And probably the only thing that is done fairly regularly is praying before dinner time. That I think we do quite a lot of. Yeah. We don't have this sorted out at all. And you'll notice from what I just said before that, you know, life will upset your plans and you'll have to adjust. But the key, folks, is committing to trying something, something active, uh, and keep coming back to it. Don't just leave it to teaching on the fly. Be reactive, yeah, but also be active as much as you can. So that's RA. Before I get into the P of my rap strategy, I want to say this. What we're talking about here is teaching them, right? By hook or by crook, you want to get the message across. But what's the message that you want to get across? And again, I think there are three things. You want to teach them his story, your story, and the details. Right? His story, your story, the details. So his story is pretty simple. It's the story of the Bible. God creates us. Adam falls. God promises a saviour. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 boys into G Egypt, out of Egypt, into the promised land. The judges, Samuel, Saul, David, Solomon, two kingdoms. Northern one, not so good, disappears forever. Southern one, it's all right, but they get sent to Babylon, comes back 70 years later, rebuilds the temple 400 years later. Boom! The Savior is born, he dies, gets resurrected, goes to heaven, and one day he'll come back again. And that's it. That's his story. You kind of want your kids to know that one. Our story is very different. You know, how you teach them that, you can figure it out. Our story is very different. This is essentially where you share with them how salvation has affected your life. And again, you should go back and listen to Christoph's sermon. It was in Judges. I know some of you have. It's very good. I'm not talking solely about your conversion story here, but of course, you should tell them that. 
We've got to be able, though, to show our kids the difference that the gospel has made in our lives this week, last week, on various occasions. Over the years, um, myself and Erica have shared with our kids how you know, we deal with feeling like a failure. Because they'll often say to us, oh, I'm stupid, I can't do this. Uh, and I've seen Erica, and I've said it myself, come alongside and share with them how we, the gospel helps us to deal with that. I've heard of other parents telling their teenagers about how they navigated the relationships that they had when they were younger with God at their side. How to deal with heartache when God takes you apart. How to be able to um, explain how the gospel of Jesus has made a difference in your life. And I don't think, you know, I don't think I need to make the point anymore, but those moments you share, what God has done for you can be quite profound. Sometimes you just see the gears clicking in their head. It's good. And then lastly, as I said, we teach them his story, your story, and I'm going to call this the details. This is probably the hardest. Um, I, I'm not, I haven't taught this through as much as the others, but I'm talking here about the various doctrines that hold the story that I mentioned, his story, together. Without these things, I think there is a real danger that their faith can become quite subjective and controlled by their feelings rather than his truth. And his story could become about them rather than him. Uh, doctrines usually keep or help us to keep the story as it should be and not how we want it to be. And to be, as I said, I don't actually know how, what to say to you here other than, you know, we use the catechism. We ask them what, about what they're learning in Sunday school and we try to talk about them try to talk about it with them saying goes for GB and BB and all those and there's loads of good books out there I don't know what else to say you just got to figure out a way of doing it the last so that's the, the three things I never finished with the rap what's the P the P is actually for passive and we've already kind of looked at this when we were talking about the community your family is a community and the kind of community you create there will have a tremendous effect on their faith. Now again, this section could be a whole sermon about being good fathers and mothers or parents or guardians. But the only thing I'm going to say is, if you weren't here, you missed it, but last week Christoph was talking from this passage again and he was asking us, what do you love? What do you love? And you can be sure... Your kids will know if you love God more than, say, money or the drink or sports or whatever. They'll know that. My father had a stroke recently. Most of you know about that. It was a very serious one, actually. A lot of you have been very kind, asking me about how he is, praying for him. And I, I do, I love my father. I think he has a faith. I'm not sure. He goes to Mass. But he, he, he liked the pub more than he liked my mother. So it was very, it is been, has been very easy for me to leave Catholicism. 
You know what I'm talking about? If it's clear to your kids that you have other priorities in life that are more important to you than God, it's hard to get angry at them for leaving the church. They will often end up loving what you love. So, you know, love God. And there's a good chance that they will love him too. And then lastly, 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 you, we, you, you don't save them. It's not up to you. You just do your part. But God saves them. I know many of you have done lots of what I'm talking about. And they still walked away. But it's not up to you. In fact, you need to know that if they do walk away from God, you might have played a part in that. But ultimately, that was their decision. It's not your fault. So, I kind of landed on a heavy note. But, you know, I didn't even talk about prayer. Well, I kind of did talk about prayer. But pray for them. Love them. Follow your rap strategy. And trust God. Don't worry about it. He's in control. That's it. I'll pray. Um, good morning, Father. Hello. Thanks for, uh, thanks for your message. I am pretty sure that every single one of us here more than maybe anything else would love to see our kids and the kids in this church grow up to follow you um, so help us to be a community that's hard to leave help us to continue to seek your face and be changed more and more into someone like you so that this is a great place to be help all the leaders and the preachers and teachers teach good stuff um, help the parents to love their kids help them to teach when opportunities come help them to make plans and best correspond to who they are to teach their kids stuff and uh, just give us loads of kids coming up here and making communion with us Amen. All right, Billy.